Should we be eating fruit on an empty stomach, like some people are saying, or are we okay to combine it with other foods? So I really think this one depends on your goals. If your goal is blood sugar stability, I would recommend it at the end of a meal or at least in combination with protein or fat to blunt that blood sugar spike. If your goal is digestion, my area of education is not in Eastern medicine, but a lot of cultures would would suggest that eating fruit on an empty stomach is better for digestion. Honestly, in practice, I haven't found that for people with digestive issues that fruit on an empty stomach or after a meal makes a big difference. So for most people, I do recommend pairing it with a, a protein or fat, an apple with almond butter, or have a, a hard boiled egg alongside, or put it on your yogurt for your fermented food, or have berries as your dessert, something like that. Pairing it is uh, going to be great for your blood sugar, but I'll kind of say, listen to your body. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that one too. Hi, I'm Chef Maria, the Fit Foodie, and this is Recipes for Your Best Life, where we dish about all things related to food, health, and wellness to nourish you from the inside out. I love hosting special guests who are experts in their field. And we also get to talk about topics that are important for your well-being. You'll always get lots of food for thought you can really sink your teeth into. So pull up a chair and welcome to the chef's table. Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am really excited to be here with you today. It's so great to have you. And I know that, you know, this is uh, this is really like your happy place to be able to talk to people about nutrition and, and wellness. And today we're going to debunk some of the top myths, the top five myths, I think, that are out there that every time I hear somebody talk about them or see them, I just get so frustrated. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so we're going to dish a little bit, um, but really the point is to give um, some sound information. So share with us a little bit about how you got started in this world of nutrition. Sure. So like most people, I've had a long and winding journey to get here. I started off in the business world. I studied economics at Harvard and undergrad and got an MBA and did management consulting and all this stuff. But it was just not my passion. Like you said at the beginning, this is my happy place. And I was in my okay place before <laughs> and I knew there was something more. So I just dug deep. I didn't have a passion for architecture or basket weaving or something that I considered to be a normal passion. But I realized that through my own journey of not really thinking about health as a child and then getting a little too into health, uh, yeah. being, you know, on the elliptical for two hours a day and all that kind of stuff. And then really going through adrenal issues and hormone issues and all that kind of stuff. I realized through that, that I had learned so much that I was excited to share with other people. So then because I'm an education lover, I tacked on a master's of holistic nutrition, finishing up my doctorate of clinical nutrition, couple board certifications. And here I am, haven't looked back. I've been in this business for uh, a couple months shy of 10 years now. Wow. Amazing. And your pedigree of education is really, really admirable. Um, I, I'm really excited to talk about this and it's just sort of fun yes. because <laughs> yesterday, in fact, um, I was on Instagram and I saw a post that came up on my feed that really disturbed me. 
uh, and it said, eat one to two meals a day and Mm -hmm. only drink water. And this person's advice, the way and it said, it it went on to say, trust me, you'll feel better. And I I just was so upset by it. I'm like, why is someone encouraging one to two meals a day? And so I reposted it and, you know, I'm always very cognizant of people's feelings. So I never want to upset anybody, but I was like, just be careful who you take your advice from. Well, this person contacted me in my DMs and was just like, not happy with me. Um, And he's like, how do you know what my credentials are? And I said, well, what are your credentials? And he proceeded to say, well, with your attitude, I'm not going to tell you what my credentials are, which meant Um, but you know, what I said to him was my concern is that you are now encouraging, um, an eating disorder. You're encouraging someone who's maybe already in that mindset of deprivation to continue. And you're telling them that's actually the right path. And I think we get into a lot of trouble when we give wide sweeping advice for everyone male, female, every age, you know, every activity level, every lifestyle. And we don't caveat that with like, but (laughs) there are things for the masses and then there are things for individuals. Um, So that's why I think this is so important. I will add like, you know, I, you and I went through it. You and I had our own body dysmorphia and went through our own eating issues. So it hits deep and it hits at a point that's very emotional. And that's why my reaction was emotional because I would never want someone to go through what I went through. Yeah. I understand that poignant sadness and your frustration and all of this. It is One thing to say to social media, ooh, I tried this and I feel amazing today. Okay, fine. Your journey is your own. But once you're trying to get other people to do something that is, I was going to say borderline disordered, but I'm going to say it's over the border of disordered eating, that gets dangerous and scary. And I do think that's why we have such a problem these days with health, mental, physical, emotional health, all of this stuff, because we're ping-ponging between these people who are so passionate and they don't really know what's best for us. It just, it causes a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into it because there okay. are some top myths that are floating around out there from prominent prominent people. I mean, I'm not well, I might call them out, but <laughs> right now we'll 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 be nice. Um, but I think it's irresponsible. And so I want to really dive in and understand from you what you think about these. So let's talk. Number one is should I eat spinach and kale? You know, I hear some big time names out there really bashing them saying, well, they're a problem because of the oxalates. So what do you think about that? Well, I never like to say anyone should eat anything just for the reason that you're saying. So if there's one thing you really, really hate and it's spinach and kale or you have an allergy or something, then no, you you shouldn't eat it. But otherwise, absolutely. I think spinach and kale are such healthy, life-giving, nourishing foods, and I consume them regularly, both of them. It is true that they have higher oxalate contents, but the good news is 
our body is so great at getting rid of those oxalates. There are just a very few small percentage of people with existing extreme kidney issues that Mm -hmm. I might say, you know, cool it on the oxalates until we get those kidney issues resolved. But for the average person, I am not worried about oxalates at all. What do you think about what that that even means? What is an oxalate and why uh, I pronounce it oxalate because I grew up with a Middle Eastern mom who would pronounce it that way. But what does that mean? And why could it be a problem for someone with a pre-existing condition? Yeah. So the really cool thing about food, which you can chime into uh, what I'm saying as well, because your knowledge is so deep here, is that each food, each naturally occurring food has thousands of phytochemicals. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that word mean? Chemical sounds really scary. And we uh, here on social media, stay away from chemicals, but water's a chemical. Kale has chemicals. All kinds of things have chemicals and phytochemical. Phyto means plant. So it's a chemical that comes from a plant. And we think very simply about it. We think chicken equals protein, orange equals vitamin C, something like that. But really there are thousands of these in every naturally occurring food. And so if you think of spinach as a plant, it has iron and it has vitamin C and it has all these other things, thousands of them. One of them happened to be oxalates. Now oxalates, you can think of them as like little crystals that can build up in your system. So when I say crystals, many people might have heard of Uh, gout and uric acid. And that's a crystallization that happens oddly enough in your big toe and your fingers. But all kinds of these little crystals exist in different kinds of plant foods. And again, our body's really good at detoxifying these crystals or phytochemicals. The detox organs primarily though are our kidneys, our liver, our skin, and that all happens. We detoxify it through sweating, through breathing, through peeing, through pooping, all of this kind of stuff. We're detoxifying. But if one of those organs like your kidney is already experiencing issues and your kidney is the primary one that's going to process oxalates, then um, it might just be a good reason to give your kidneys a break as they're healing. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night in a hot sweat? I used to until I discovered Cozy Earth. They make the yummiest bedding, clothing, towels, so many things from 100% viscose from bamboo. It's perfect for sleeping because it helps to regulate and wick moisture away to keep you comfy. It's also the softest fabric I've ever had next to my body. It's durable and machine washable, and it's ethically produced, which is huge. They pride themselves on their ethical production. And I'll tell you, I have so many things from Cozy Earth, from sheets to bedding to towels to robes, pajamas, shorts, tops, dresses, and they are my absolute favorite items. You can get 40% off at Cozy Earth right now. Just head over to CozyEarth.com and use my code CE for Cozy Earth dash Maria I. 40% off. Plus, some of Oprah's favorite things, and you know, the queen knows. Yeah. And might I add that, you know, it looks different for people that are eating maybe something raw and having a hard time with that digestion and breaking it down versus cooked, right? 
Um, Absolutely. And, and if you are one of those people who perhaps, you know, have an issue breaking it down, try cooking it because cooking it will change the composition of the food and make it perhaps easier for you to digest, right? That is so correct. And many people ask me, well, should I eat my vegetables cooked or raw? And my answer is both. Some vegetables are even better. We release more of the nutrients when they're cooked. And it's great. Tomatoes, for example. Yes, tomatoes. That's right. It's also great to eat raw vegetables because they have a lot of that intact fiber and whatever. So I really believe in general that the best answer is a mix of both. But just like you said, if you're worried about oxalates, cooking them reduces a whole bunch of those oxalates. So it's a great way. Just steam your spinach before you put it in your smoothie or whatever. It's a, a really good way to reduce that risk, which is already small to begin with. Yeah, and and just a chef tip um, for people who are looking to kind of maybe mix things up a little bit, maybe you're tired of your regular old salad, you know, you can wilt your spinach and add it in with other hearty greens and it gives it a nice complex kind of mix of textures and flavors too. Because when you cook something, you usually are changing the the profile of how it tastes the palate of it so same with tomatoes you know tomatoes are much more bioavailable when you cook them so cooking them down doesn't necessarily mean that you're compromising so just think about that as you're making your selection so we're going to give a two thumbs up to spinach and kale <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> okay number two lectins. Okay. We keep hearing from a particular doctor who's maybe changed his mind a couple of times about lectins and lectins are naturally occurring compounds that are in nightshade vegetables like tomatoes and mushrooms and peppers along with beans. So can our bodies break down lectins and are lectins harmful? So just like oxalates, lectins are a real thing. This person did not make up the concept of lectins. They are one of these thousands of phytochemicals that occur in plants. But the answer to your question is yes, absolutely. Our bodies can break these down. Lectins are, like you said, in beans, if we pressure cook the beans, the lectin content is almost zero. Mm -hmm. So if you're concerned about lectins, maybe you have leaky gut or you have digestive issues or you're in an autoimmune flare up and you're trying everything you possibly can, then there are still ways that you can eat these things. Maybe you pressure cook them. Maybe you cook your vegetables. But I personally, I consume a lot of lectins every day. I don't think it's possible to consume zero lectins because every single food out there has at least a fraction of lectins. The ones that you mentioned are um, higher in concentration, but I'm not worried about this at all. And I don't think most people should be worried. I love this. So let me share a little personal story. Um, I'm from Egypt originally, and it's a developing country. Um, finding, you know, eating meat on a regular basis or fish or whatever is, um, is a luxury. Okay. It's not something that most families can afford to do on a regular basis. So the main source of protein is fava beans. Okay. We eat fava beans morning, noon, and night. (laughs) It is Mm. um, called full. It's uh, they're cooked brown fava beans and they cook them 
um, and, you know, they stew them, get them nice and soupy. And when I was a baby, I was and I have always been a bit lactose intolerant. So I had a hard time digesting any sort of milk, including formula. So guess what my parents fed me? Baba bean juice. Mush. Juice. Bean juice. Yeah. They would take basically the stewed fava beans and they would go to the local vendor and he would retain the liquid and they would put it in the baby bottle for me. And that's what wow. I survived on. So thank God for beans. That's all I'm saying. Cause I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for beans. So just think about that. A lot of other countries rely on beans and rice as their, you know, their protein source. So imagine if you told all those people to stop eating beans, what would they do? <laughs> Absolutely. I did not know that. That's really interesting. I'm actually going to Egypt next month. So I'm very excited to try some. Yes. For the first oh time. Gosh, I'll going try some baba I'm so excited you're going. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Um, so I didn't know that about fava beans. I certainly didn't know that about your history, but I did know that so many cultures rely upon beans. And if we go back and look at those cultures that are still following their ancestral diets, they are thriving in terms of health. It's unfortunately us as Americans, and I love the United States. I'm proud to be here, all of this kind of stuff. But us as Americans are the ones who are messing it up. We are getting further and further away from all of these cultural foods. Beans actually have great sources of fiber and protein and all kinds of things that have many health benefits. So um, I definitely encourage them. And again, if you're worried, just pressure cook them. You'll be fine. Yeah. Nobody eating raw beans out there. Okay. That's not, oh, a, no. that's not a palatable uh, idea. Chef doesn't approve anyways. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So next number three is dairy. Okay. Lots of conflicting information about dairy. Um, I saw a meme about, you know, should you, should you do something that, you know, comes from an animal, like drinking the milk of an animal is like, no one else does that. No other, you know, nothing but animals do that drink milk from other animals. Um, and they only do that when they're babies. So are you a baby if you're drinking milk? as an adult, but obviously dairy extends into cheese and yogurt and kefir and other things. So do we ditch the dairy? <laughs> I have to say, I feel a little bit more neutral about this one than I did the other one. So even at the beginning, when something came out about don't eat any lectins, that means don't eat any vegetables. I was like, come on, that's ridiculous. I'm not even going to buy it. But dairy and I have had a different history. So at times I've thought, oh, wow, dairy's inflammatory for 70% of people. Lots of people have lactose intolerance. Maybe we'd all be better without dairy. And then at times I'll read like Weston A. Price or some of these more foundational nutrition experts and I'll say, oh, wow, we should really be eating all the dairy all the time, but it mm. should be raw, unpasteurized dairy, organic dairy. And I've been all over the map with this one. And where I've landed based on the research is that most people consuming dairy are great are enjoying an extra source of protein extra Wait, source you of said most people who enjoy dairy are fine i well i'm going to give a caveat but yes okay 
Um, the, the caveat to that is most Americans, I don't know about other cultures, but most Americans are consuming too much dairy. Ah, So if we have dairy, if we have like a mild lactose intolerance, which it is true that 70% of Americans have at least a mild inflammatory reaction to dairy. If I'm consuming some goat cheese on my salad three times a week, that's going to be no problem. But if I'm putting milk in my coffee and cheese in my eggs, and then I'm having ice cream, and then I'm having Alfredo, and then I'm having whatever else, we're consuming like eight servings of dairy per day. I do find that most people do feel better without that much dairy. So I really do think it's a balance here, especially people who have acne, who have unexplained bloating, who have some kind of like rashes or inflammatory issues, constipation. These are all people that I would recommend reducing their dairy and just see how they feel. And ideally switching to organic dairy, if that's accessible or goat dairy, sheep dairy, something like that um, as a transition period. But I know for me, when my gut is healthy, I can consume dairy in moderation. Like I said, you know, uh, once a day or something like that. But when my gut is not doing well, I will feel all those things. I'll break out. I'll get bloated, something like that. So I I think this one is kind of more in between. Is it because people lack the enzyme to break down the lactose? And if that's the case, would a enzyme supplement help if you are a lover of dairy and want to consume it and you're doing it in, you know, moderate amounts? Is that something that can help people? Uh, Yes, and is kind of the answer. So there are three components of dairy that cause inflammation. One is lactose. It's the one we hear most about because this can actually be an allergy. Even though the word is lactose intolerance, it's terribly named. It's actually an allergy. It's an IgE response. So when people have severe lactose intolerance, they know they vomit after dairy or something like that. Now it's a spectrum as well. So you might have mild lactose intolerance. You don't vomit, but you do just feel a little off when you're consuming dairy. Um, Usually when people know about it, that's lactose and an enzyme can help with that. So lactase is the enzyme that breaks down lactose. Many people have heard of the brand lactate. That's just lactase, the enzyme. And you can take that, but it's a Band-Aid approach. So if you're someone who's otherwise healthy and you just want to eat ice cream on occasion and you want to take a lactate pill, I'm fine with that. But if you're someone who's in the midst of an autoimmune flare up or you have some kind of existing gut issue that you're trying to heal, the Band-Aid isn't really the best approach. Mm -hmm. And also the other two components, casein and whey, those can cause inflammation in people too. So a lot of my clients who are getting more into strength training, they're drinking all these whey protein shakes and they're feeling bloated all the time. Well, that doesn't have lactose in it. But whey also causes gut issues in a lot of people. So it's not as simple as just taking the lactase enzyme. Mm, I see. So what, okay, so let's kind of break down to um, a couple of categories within dairy, because you mentioned sheep's milk and goat milk. How is that different? And why can some people digest those better than cow dairy? Yes. So it's all about the the structure and the concentration of those three components, lactose, casein, and whey. 
And for example, casein, uh, there are types A2 and A1 casein, I guess I should say it in reverse order, A1 and A2 casein. And some people have a problem breaking down the traditional casein that's in most cows that are bred for milking or for dairy purposes. So you might see um, in Europe for sure, or you might see in various supermarket shelves, uh, milk branded that we use the right in quote types of casein. This is just so people can digest it better and people digest the casein structure in sheep and goat dairy much better than in cow dairy as well. There's one more component to that, which is that cows, unfortunately, we're, we're doing factory farming. We have cows in really inhumane conditions and they're pumped full of a lot of antibiotics and things like that to keep them, quote, healthy in these conditions. And sheep and goats are usually not under those same conditions. So just naturally, the amount of antibiotics and things like that that are going to be present in uh, sheep and goat dairy is less. So some people are reacting to that, the quality of it. Some people are reacting to the casein structure. It really just depends, but most people do better with goat and sheep uh, dairy. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, that's also very much an ancestral thing. I think if you kind of, like for me, I always digest those two much better. Um, so I think also look to your roots and see, you know, kind of what your heritage has done for, you know, literally thousands of years. Um, but, you know, I I just started adding um, cottage cheese more into my diet. Um, and I've always eat I've always eaten like fermented, you know, dairy, like yogurt and things like that. Talk to us a little bit about the fermentation process um, and the culturing process of some of these common foods that are getting really, I mean, I feel like Greek yogurt and now cottage cheese, cottage cheese has made it made a comeback. It's like, having a day. Yes. That like is now the star of everything from, you know, baked goods to, um, ice cream, you know, cottage cheese, ice cream. So talk to us a little bit about what happens during the culturing and fermentation process that maybe makes it easier for people to digest. Have you ever wondered, is rinsing my produce with the water that comes out of the sink that I don't even drink enough to really clean it? well then you're one of the smartest people I know because you're absolutely right, it's not enough. That's why we created the only all natural and patented line of food wash and wipes and it's called Eat Cleaner. It's tasteless, odorless and lab tested and it removes up to 99.9% of the residue that water can't including pesticides, wax, soil and junk that can carry bacteria that can really make you sick. Plus, we formulated it to help extend the shelf life of your fresh produce too. And that'll save you money. When your berries are lasting up to 10, 12 days, you know that's a good thing. It helps your produce last up to five times longer using a natural blend of fruit acids and antioxidants. So there's no chemicals, it's just clean eating fun. And this can help save your family an average of over $500 per year. Make it easy on yourself reduce waste, and get that fruit and veggies into your body, where it's going to do you a lot of good and not in the trash. Check us out 
eatcleaner.com or head to our Amazon store at amazon.com forward slash eatcleaner. Yes. So it's going to gross some people out. But before I talk to you about the bacteria in your cottage cheese, just know that there are so many bacteria, millions and millions We're of bacteria. bacteria. Yes, we are already bacteria. You yeah. cannot avoid this. So just the fact that I'm going to talk about it in your food doesn't really change how uh, your your body or your grossness about bacteria <laughs> is, is going to work. Yeah. Um, but the, the culture process, the fermentation process is just that. So if you've ever made sauerkraut, if anyone listening has made sauerkraut, the way you do it is to put cabbage and some salt in a jar and you leave it on your counter for a long time. And the reason you do that is the bacteria are growing and multiplying. Fermented dairy is the same thing. They're allowing bacteria in the dairy to actually grow and multiply. And that's why real yogurt has a little bit of tang. The yogurt that's, you know, strawberry, banana, chocolate surprise (laughs) that doesn't actually have any live culture cultures in it, that's not real yogurt. Real yogurt has a tang. That is the bacteria. And that's really good. Again, the reason people take probiotics and the reason people try to support their gut health is to support those bacteria that are our friends. They're in our digestive tract helping us break down food. So if we have an abundance of those bacteria, either because we have a strong gut or we're consuming fermented foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, real yogurt, other fermented foods, then we're better able to break down even a little inflammatory things like dairy might be for some people. Yeah, I, um, I'm i a big fan. And um, you brought up a really important point when you're buying yogurt, make sure that you buy the plain yogurt. Greek yogurt is very high in protein. It's an excellent food source. And your gut health is where they say 70% of your immune cells live. So if you're really, as we're heading into the cold and flu season, super important that your gut health is in check. Um, and I couldn't think of a better food to eat because it's high in protein too. Like, And it's delicious. You can put it on savory and in sweet foods as well. Absolutely. And if someone hearing this is like, oh no, I know I cannot do dairy. Like it's an absolute no for me. Maybe I do have that severe lactose intolerance. You can still take this message and get in a coconut yogurt that's fermented or a sauerkraut, a kimchi, something else. Fermented foods in general are excellent, as you said, for your gut health and immune health as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I know we spent a lot of time on that one, but I think it's an important one because that to me is one of the biggest out there. Um, Okay, number four is fruit. Um, Should we be eating fruit? I mean, it, it seems silly to even ask the question because fruit is a, it's the purest food aside from vegetables that comes from the ground. It comes from a seed, Um, it is a tremendous source of phytonutrients, but people are worried about the sugar. So should we be worried about fruit and the sugar associated with it? 
So I think broadly, the answer is no. Now people will take this. People love extremes. And so if I say fruit is very healthy and then they say, oh, I drank 64 ounces of apple juice today, but it was only apples. Well, that's not the same. Fruit, whole fruit is packaged so perfectly for us with fiber and water to balance out the sugar content. And so if you're eating an apple, I'm not worried about it at all. But when we do start getting into juices, even healthier juices, if you're drinking a ton of juice from apples or any anything else, I think it can be too much. And like I mentioned to you before we recorded, I saw someone on Instagram who's very proud of consuming 40 bananas a day. I mean, that's too much. But for the normal person, I eat fruit. I recommend people eat fruit. It's super rich in antioxidants, wonderful source of fiber, good source of hydration. So I am pro fruit for most people. Just don't take it too far. How does one eat 40 bananas a day? He was putting them in a smoothie. He was literally putting like maybe 20 bananas at a time in a blender and just drinking that, which honestly sounds pretty gross to me. So I I don't know. I mean, people, as you know, will do anything for social media likes. Don't do that. Don't do don't that. Don't do that. Mentioned that. That's going to stop you up pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So let's talk about glycemic index um, and what you know, if somebody is training and they are trying to keep their blood sugar in check, are there certain fruits that you would recommend that they eat over others? Yes. But some people so, out there are after a certain goal. I mean, maybe they're trying to, you know, cut, you know, fat and they're, they're really trying to build muscle and they're trying to get healthier. And, and part of that is getting their, um, their blood sugar in check. So absolutely it it applies to physical goals, performance goals, body composition goals, but also maybe someone's been told they have insulin resistance or they're pre-diabetic or something like that. Blood sugar is a real thing. And in general, those tropical fruits, for someone who has not grown up in a tropical environment like myself, tropical fruits are higher on the glycemic index. So if you think of bananas and pineapple and papaya and mango and all of those kinds of things, they are the ones that we could be eating more sparingly if we're concerned about our blood sugar and more of the winter fruits like berries and uh, well, berries are not winter fruits, but uh, berries in general are some of the most excellent fruits. And then like plums, apples, peaches, things like that. Those are going to be lower on the glycemic index. So if you can steer more toward like berries, Berries are just my favorite taste-wise and health-wise. I truly don't think that most people could consume too many berries. So I'll always recommend those. If you can steer more towards the less tropical side, your blood sugar will be a little bit better. And, um, you know, if there's one thing that you can eat, and this is ancient wisdom in the United States, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Um, an apple has the most complex diversity of probiotics and prebiotics that you can eat in a, a in one single food. So amazing. There's a lot I did not know that. that. Yeah, there's a lot to that. Eat an apple a day. Um should we be eating fruit on an empty stomach like some people are saying or are we okay to combine it with other foods? So I really think this one depends on your goals. 
if your goal is blood sugar stability, I would recommend it at the end of a meal or at least in combination with protein or fat to blunt that blood sugar spike. If your goal is digestion, my area of education is not in Eastern medicine, but a lot of cultures would would suggest that eating fruit on an empty stomach is better for digestion. Honestly, in practice, I haven't found that for people with digestive issues that fruit on an empty stomach or after a meal makes a big difference. So for most people, I do recommend pairing it with a a protein or fat, an apple with almond butter, or have a a hard boiled egg alongside, or put it on your yogurt for your fermented food, or have berries as your dessert, something like that. Pairing it is going to be great for your blood sugar, but I'll kind of say, listen to your body. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that one too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, uh, I advocate eating it with, um, fat or protein all the time. You know, I just did a little reel about it. Like want that fruit salad, sprinkle some unsweetened shredded coconut on top, add some cheese. Um, maybe then use that to top your yogurt. So I'm totally aligned with you on that. Um, in uh, also in my culture, we eat fruit at the end of the meal. Um, it's supposed to help, you know, especially the enzymes are supposed to help with breaking down, um, you know, the food in your meal. So that's something culturally that I've grown up with. And I definitely found that um, and studied that with combination of the fat and protein, you know, you're not going to increase, you're not going to experience that increase in insulin or, or blood sugar that you would if you were just eating it on its own, if you're sensitive. That's absolutely right. And I wore a blood sugar monitor for uh, about a year or so doing all kinds of different experiments. The difference in me, I'm very sensitive to blood sugar swings. The difference was huge. So if I just had, you know, half a cup of blueberries, no problem. But if I did have a plain banana on an empty stomach, I would have a pretty big blood sugar increase and my body thankfully works well. So I would bring that down naturally. Uh, But if I had a banana at the end of a meal, it would be so much less. So I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. So throw that banana in a smoothie with your, yeah. you know, with your yogurt, your Greek yes. yogurt, and um, maybe a handful of berries and a little bit of, you know, whatever milk you can digest. And there you go. There you have the combination of protein and fat and all the good stuff to balance it out. I think that that's a safe bet for most people. Okay. Last but not least of our top five myths, let's talk about soy. Um, This is a big one. And I actually saw somebody who I follow say that if you are vilifying soy, it's like vilifying, uh, it's like racist. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. She's pretty like, um, pretty, uh, you know, I don't want to say severe, but, you know, being Asian that, you know, soy is a big part of the culture. And and she was saying like these people that are soy haters are basically kind of racist because this is the food that we eat, you know, this is our primary source of protein. So aside from that, um, what, what do we think about soy and does it have a place in our diet? Well, yes, I will 
even though I didn't see that post, I'll branch off of what I assume this person was saying, which is that whole food soy has been the root of so many traditional cultures that are still very healthy. And I like to believe even if hundreds and thousands of years ago, people didn't understand the science, if something has lasted in a culture for centuries at a time, there must be something to it that's healthy. And I do believe that for whole food soy. Now we have taken that and made it a little bit of a problematic thing where we're putting processed GMO soy in everything. So there's soybean oil, there's all kinds of low quality soy milk and soy products and soy derivatives and soy isolate and whatever. And I do think that soy in the quote wrong or less healthy form can be problematic because it can mimic estrogen. So people might have heard of the the phytoestrogen word, which phytoestrogen, it sounds scary, but it's actually, it just means plant estrogen. That's not really a bad thing. However, in excess, it can be an issue. So bottom line, what my opinion, my science-backed opinion is if it's whole food soy, particularly if it's non-GMO, I ideally organic, I give it two thumbs up, but I would start limiting all of the other soy stuff in processed food. Yeah. And processed food is, you know, something that you want to tread lightly with anyways, and make sure that you read the labels. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of eating, um, soy in, in small amounts. I'll have like either tempeh, which is pretty unprocessed. You still see the whole soybean in there. Definitely organic because we don't want the GMOs. Um, And I'll have edamame, which is the whole soybean. And every once in a while, I'm talking like maybe twice a year, I'll have tofu. And that's just a personal preference. It's not, has nothing to do with anything. It's just, I I would prefer tempeh over tofu. Um, But is there a recommendation of servings because I feel like as a woman in her fifties, it does help me sometimes with hot flashes and just kind of keeping my hormone levels consistent. But is there something as too much, like you said, where estrogen could be a problem? I do think of it like a Goldilocks effect. So if, if I really had to give a precise answer, I would have to look at someone's actual balance of hormones and see what's going on in their body. But in general, for women in particular, especially women who are going through the perimenopause or menopausal transition, we tend to have estrogen imbalances and our estrogen, in fact, can go all across the board. We can experience night sweats, hot flashes, all of that kind of stuff. So I would really listen to your body and run some experiments on what amount of soy makes you feel the best. But I think in general, about you know four or five servings a week of whole food soy would probably be the right amount for most people. Some people could do a lot more. Some people might tolerate less. Yeah, that's a, that's good advice. So stay whole with the soy if you can. Watch out for things like soy sauce and soybean oil. Um, you know, if you're doing soy sauce, really get organic soy. Um, yes, you can. And uh, I know that this is tough, like for the people out there, because I love sushi and going to sushi restaurants. You know, generally speaking, they're not going to have organic soy. I don't know. Maybe take your own. Is that so crazy? 
I've definitely done it. I know people feel all kinds of different ways about this. I never want to go to the restaurant and be that person who has like 85 different requirements. I don't want to be that. But personally, bringing my own soy sauce, I don't feel bad about that. The people that I'm with already know I'm health-minded, so they don't care. I think it's a great compromise. Hey, you know. What if I told you there's a completely natural way to get better skin, reduce inflammation and pain, enhance brain function, help with cardiovascular health, improve circulation, heal wounds faster, and even ease depression without a pill or lifting a finger, and no negative side effects? I have just one thing to say, let there be light. This magic little apparatus is called the Loom Box, and it's a high-powered portable red light and near-infrared unit that harnesses the incredibly powerful benefits of light near-infrared and red light wavelengths to be exact. And I love that it takes just 10 to 12 minutes to do its magic. I literally use it daily for exercise recovery, pain management, treating fine lines and wrinkles, and even with my mood. It's helped me and my family in so many ways. This is the ultimate biohealth hack I lean into, and I know it will help you. Receive $250 off with my code CHEFMARIA at theloombox.com. That's the L-U-M-E box.com. If, if, if you feel like, just make sure that it doesn't leak in your purse. <laughs> a good point. Yes. Cool. Well, this has been so insightful and enlightening. And I think people are going to love listening to this because... I think what we're hearing is the bottom line is there's no absolute truth, right? There are general guidelines. And in a lot of cases, it's very personalized. And that's truly what nutrition and health is. It's a personal journey. Um, And I think ultimately, you know, I wrote in my book that whenever we start to cut out whole food groups, we have to really understand why we're doing that. You know, is it a personal reason? Is it a ethical reason? Is it a health reason? Chances are that the health part of it doesn't really substantiate a whole food group being cut out. So I think it's an opportunity for people to really look inside themselves. And I know I've tried all different kinds of diets. I don't know about you, but I've been vegan for a time. I've been vegetarian. I've been paleo. I've done sort of a modified keto, more like a a plant-based keto. Um, And then just the omnivore, you know, and trying to keep my blood sugar stable. And that's the one that's always worked for me, the Mediterranean diet. So I think with that, you've got all of these foods represented in the Mediterranean (laughs) diet. And that's what works for me. Yes. And I do think that's what works for most people. It is so tempting to have hard lines in the sand. And I've always said, if I found one meal plan that worked for every single person and solved all the world's problems, I would just sell it for a penny online and I would you know, not do anything and it would be easy and everyone would be happy. But I do not think that exists. It is individual. It does require listening to our bodies. And that's hard for some people but it's always worth it. Your body knows. And most times, like you said, if we're cutting out a whole food group, 
of course, if it's ethical, religious, otherwise, I'm never going to step on that. But if it's for perceived health reasons, I would I would check ourselves and really dive into the research and see if that's necessary. Yeah, this has been great. Okay, Meg, we're at the end of our time, but I always ask one question to all my guests. If you could have one dish prepared by anybody, what would the dish being your favorite dish be and who would make it? Oh, wow. This is such a great question. Well, one thing that would be a little risky decision would be to have you make me an Egyptian dish because (laughs) I've never eaten your food and I've honestly never had Egyptian food. So that just sounds like an amazing thing. Um, But I think if I were going to choose something that I had already had, I would probably do like a little um, mishmash of my family, my whole family together, each preparing one different dish. So my dad would be putting something on the grill. My sister would be making something. Even my husband would be making something. My mom would be making something. And we just kind of all come together and contribute. I would definitely make the vegetable dish because that's what I always do. But we'd each contribute our own part and enjoy a wonderful family meal all together. Okay. That's a very egalitarian answer. I love that because nobody will get upset. There we go. I'm a peacemaker at heart. I love it. I love it. Meg, where can people find you? Yes. So my website, thelionshare.org has all the ways to get in touch with me. Social media wise, I'm most active on Instagram at the lion's share. Um, but my website even has direct links to email me. I'd love to chat with any of the listeners. And I just really appreciate you having me on today. Awesome. We'll have that in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I know you have a lot of choices out there of what to listen to, what to watch. So it means a lot to me that you're here with me. And hey, if you love this content, would you hit the subscribe button? I want you around. I don't want you to just show up for one episode and leave. I want you here, part of the conversation, a seat at this table. And while you're at it, would you share this with your friends and family? And if you take a screenshot, and share it on your social media with a hashtag RFYBL for recipes for your best life. I'll make sure to personally give you a shout out and you may just be featured right here on the show. So until next time, here's to living deliciously and being the chef of your best life.